Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And I am pleased to welcome Queens Assemblyman, New York State Assemblyman Daniel Rosenthal, a Democrat from Central Queens, Kew Gardens Hills, uh, College Point, some Kew Gardens, yeah, some Fresh Gardens. Exactly. Okay. The Central Queens, the part that we call Jewish Queens, uh, the Main Street area. Uh, Daniel, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class this morning. Great to be here. Okay. So all things uh, city, we have been looking at the New York City mayoral race. There are other city races, of course, coming up this year. All the city offices are actually up. You got mayor, you got controller, you've got public advocate, although there's not much of a race there. And you have all the city council seats and lots of turnover potentially in the city council. And you get to watch it all from the sidelines as an assemblyman watching everybody fight it out so so much going on but you have already decided to throw your lot and make a pick in the we're not going to break news here uh but we can talk about why that is and why do you believe number one that andrew yang will be the next mayor of new york city and why do you believe that he is good for the jews the proverbial question yeah it's great so i was happy to endorse andrew yang pretty early in the campaign season um, for two reasons. One, I think New York City is in a really difficult time right now. We've had an extremely difficult year with COVID. Um, the economic effects have been uh, serious, and there was a lot of work to bring New York City back. And I don't think the conventional political wisdom of the past is going to fix New York City's problems. And, you know, I look at the future of the city as someone who lives here with my wife and a young child, and what is my family's future in this city? Um, and I look at the other candidates in the field, and I think Andrew Yang is uniquely suited for this time. He is definitely an unconventional candidate, but we live in an unconventional time. He is someone who thinks outside the box. And right now, there's a, you know, a lot of issues in New York City politics where uh, our political climate tends to be very reactive to Twitter. Um, and he is someone that has proven to be above that and not reactive based on, based on that and actually thinks things through, which is refreshing. Well, well, let's talk about that for a second. The the Twitter verse as politics. Uh, there's and you hear that a lot, particularly on the left. Although I think it's prevalent on the right as well. That Twitter is driving politics and whatever is out there. The tweet du jour, and certainly we've had a lot less attention to Twitter right. since President Trump uh, is no longer in office. But at the same time, there is this intelligentsia that feels that whatever's on Twitter that day is exactly the agenda that everybody in the electorate cares about. So you as an elected official, you're trying to say, what do my constituents care about? What do real people think about? And what did the people out there who are making opinions uh, think about? So how do you bifurcate those two? It's, it's an interesting issue. Yeah, it's a problem because it's, it's an echo chamber, right? You have people tweeting who are essentially using Twitter as an organizing tool and then it becomes an echo chamber because all the, all, they're all organizing together on Twitter. Then the reporters who are also are, a lot of them are required to be on social media, part of their job to help promote their uh, news outlets that they work for. And it kind of just becomes uh, an echo chamber, but you have to really pay attention to what are your own politics. And every the data shows through various polling and various things, even nationwide, that a very small percentage of the Democratic electorate is actually on Twitter, but yet it speaks for our policies. And a lot of the issues that we deal with on a state level and on a city level are extremely complicated. 
and you cannot legislate based on 180 characters. It's just not possible. Um, and I think that gets lost in, you can't have nuanced conversation. Um, and it is a problem because it is everything on Twitter because it does not allow for nuance. Everything is black and white and nothing that you deal with on a legislative matter is simple. Okay, so back to the mayor race and your evaluation and how you talked to thought about Andrew Yang. Yes, a breath of fresh air. I'm sure you looked at some of the other candidates. Uh, I'm sure that you've also looked at some of the other things going on. We've mentioned the DSA questionnaire out there. I'm sure that has loomed uh, somewhat large mm-hmm. in many people's decisions as far as uh, uh, the relationship with the Jewish community. And that DSA questionnaire, of course, said, would you pledge not to visit Israel, essentially? I think there was one mayoral candidate, right, who actually embraced that, um, Diane Morales, who said that called Israel an apartheid state. By and large, it seems, at least to me, and I don't know all the candidates, that the uh, that the mayoral candidates have kind of uh, shied away from bashing Israel. In fact, have gone the other way. Uh, we've seen them as being generally friendly towards Israel. Yeah, so during the summer, as you're referencing, the DSA released a questionnaire asking for uh, candidates to pledge to not travel to Israel. Um, and there was extreme backlash from that. I actually organized a letter, uh, had about o- over, I believe it was 53 assembly colleagues sign on, denouncing the questionnaire as anti-Semitic. There was only one foreign policy question on that questionnaire, and that was about boy, about the BDS movement and about not traveling to Israel at all. Um, so, you know, when obviously, I don't have to explain to you, but obviously when you have one foreign policy question and it's about boycotting Israel, um, that is anti-Semitic, and there was backlash to that. Um, obviously, when, in my many private and public conversations at this point with Andrew Yang, I asked him where he was on that, um, and I was very comfortable with his answers. Um, and he is someone who has shown a great affinity towards the Jewish community. Um, the Orthodox Jewish community in New York City has quite frankly had a rough two years. Um, two years ago, before COVID, there was a tremendous spike in anti-Semitic incidences, uh, really record high levels. And then, you know, in Muncie, there was the Hanukkah stabbing right over the river in Jersey City. There was the shooting in the grocery store, and it was a really uncomforting time. And then a lot of us, it's a complicated issue, which I don't really want to get into now, but we felt that and, and, and not it was not a simple issue, but that some of the press was unfairly targeting the community when it came to COVID issues. Um, and a lot of people within the Jewish community felt unwelcome at a certain point. And to have a candidate be proactive in his outreach to the Jewish community and saying, you are an integral part of New York City, uh, when other candidates are almost embarrassed to be st- standing with us at this point, uh, means a lot. And I think it's extremely important. So there was some controversy, particularly with Andrew Yang, about his BDS position. Can, do you want to take this opportunity to clarify? I know you're not the candidate, so I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the guy to have you answer on on his behalf. But there is this idea, and truth is, I met with him. I will admit it. I I think that I don't think that there is much in the way of. Uh, discomfort when it comes to Israel or the Jewish community on his part. In fact, it's, I think that some of his, uh, his clarification makes sense, but I think he did stumble a little bit when it came to the issue, seemed to try and straddle both sides, depending on which audience he was speaking to. Um, yeah. So there is an issue. They wrote, he wrote a very strong op-ed, I believe it was in the forward where he called it fascism and he backed that. Maybe I shouldn't have called it fascism, but 
he has said numerous times publicly that BDS is anti-Semitic, does not, does not recognize Israel's right to exist, and it's that simple. He has said that at this point probably hundreds of times publicly and privately. Um, and he's also at this point committed to uh, traveling to Israel um, to continue to promote um, economic ties between Israel and New York City as, as his first trip to mayor. And he said, more importantly, my wife wants to go to Israel. So that's how you know that I will definitely go as mayor. Yeah, I think that the UJA debate the other night, both Yang and Eric Adams both said that they were going to go to Israel pretty much uh, immediately. And I actually want to appreciate uh, an interesting question. Um, if you assume that the two of them are the front runners, although polling is very fluid, and of course that there are there is ranked choice voting, as we've talked about in the show in the past, and how that will impact. But is it surprising to you, as somebody who has seen a little bit of the leftward tilt of New York City politics, that what could be could possibly construed as two moderate candidates are leading the pack? It is an interesting. Um, I think the New York Times went a little bit crazy about it. That the two. Well, of course, main... they want to push it the other way. So <laughs> the two main frontrunners in this race are relatively moderate. It's hard to put Andrew in an ideological box. He kind of isn't an ideological person. His, some of his policies would be defined as very progressive, some more moderate. Um, but, you know, it's it's. Twitter's not real, and I think I think in every election, if you went on Twitter during the presidential election, you would think that Bernie Sanders was going to be the next president of the United States. At the end of the day, Joe Biden kind of swept the floor. Well, I would say that the fear of Bernie Sanders being president of the United States probably galvanized so many moderate Democrats to coalesce around Joe Biden. Plus, that fear encouraged the Democratic establishment to clear the field for Joe Biden to then clean up on Super Tuesday right after South Carolina. So um, there is, I guess, that perception that then became the reaction to that. Maybe that's the same thing in a way that's happening here. Uh, and you saw that a little bit maybe in your district, right? We had a, we had a special election where the moderate or the most moderate candidate, probably, I guess, the most conservative candidate, uh, in your overlaying district, city council district, I should say, Jim Gennaro won 60% of the vote in a wide field of mostly progressive opponents. So perhaps there is a backlash towards the middle. Perhaps actually right that a lot of voters actually want more moderate representation. Yeah, I mean, every area in New York City is extremely different. In this area, we had a candidate, you know, Jim, who I guess would say he's more towards the moderate, definitely more of a moderate, at least side of the Democratic Party, against a candidate who is was a proud about socialist, had a history of making anti-Semitic remarks, or at least amplifying anti-Semitic tropes on social media, um, wanted to cut the NYPD by 66%, um, and other and other policies that have been embraced by, by some um, that when at the end of the day, when you came to this neighborhood, which is mostly a working middle class homeowner neighborhood, um, it did not go over too well, some of those policies. So what is this, just a failure of her campaign to realize the district she was running in? Was there some well, kind of polling that she did, or she just expected that moderates were going to stay home and they don't bother voting anymore? 
you know, to say that uh, you should not be running on an anti uh, you should not be tweeting out anti-Semitic tropes when you have a large Jewish community uh, in that district would be uh, free advice for me. She didn't take that free advice, but uh, <laughs> but you know, um, I, I can't explain. I'm obviously not not in her in her immediate circle or brain trust uh, about what the, the calculus was there. Is an area that, if you just look at the previous elections, most of the mainstream Democratic candidates are the ones to win their primaries. Um, Andrew Cuomo always did very well here. Hillary Clinton did well here over Bernie Sanders. I'm not sure what what that what I don't know is the I'm not I can't, I can't explain someone else's uh, rationale. Okay, well, let's I guess talk about Democrats in general, right? Let's talk about uh, from your perspective, I. I think that, and I'm a believer in bipartisan support for Israel, and to the extent that uh, we can have the wide consensus with regard to Israel, I think that's important. I don't know that I really, even as a Republican, I want to make Israel a wedge issue, although I know that there are some in my party who do want to do that. But as a pro-Israel Democrat, uh, proudly pro-Israel Democrat, you yourself, how do you work with your colleagues or other members of your party to educate them, to say to someone like Diane Morales, I'm not saying you did do that or you could do that, Israel's not an apartheid state, or let's say Maya Wiley, who also at the same UJA debate ducked the question on BDS, and she basically said, I mean, it's kind of simple. Do they not realize that BDS call it doesn't believe in a two-state solution. So it's kind of, I, ex- so maybe, it, maybe explain for me for a second. Yeah, so I, I found from a lot of colleagues that they are, especially, you know, who live, some of those who get to live on Twitter, they think it's like this, this toxic issue. When at the end of the day, if you sit down with them, I think a lot of folks really have no idea what BDS actually is, which I think is a failure on some of the Zionist organizations of the Jewish community to not be properly expressed that. Um, you know, if you if if you look at the various statements from the founders of BDS, the the, the movement itself, the platform, um, it, it is very clear that they don't believe that Israel should exist. And saying that you believe in a two state solution is a very responsible, progressive policy position. But I don't think most candidates, because it doesn't come up, and it shouldn't come up in New York City politics. It's it's a it's it's a foreign policy issue. Um, which I think is also where those, you know, my anti-Semitic antennas go off and saying some, something's not right. The fact that people are so obsessed with this issue that really has nothing to do with the jobs they're running for. Um, so I think part of it is 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 a failure and on the Jewish community sense to explain why BDS specifically is so bad. Um, and then, you know, other people, they just don't want to ruffle feathers within the base of that part of that wing of the party. So... Um, and, and those people have to, you know, we have to try to educate and deal with them, but it, it's a problem. And we're talking with New York State Assemblyman Daniel Rosenthal, the 27th Assembly District in Central Queens, the uh, very Jewish part of Queens. We'll describe it as uh, I want to just ask you as a Orthodox Jewish representative, obviously you are an Assemblyman, but you're not. Uh, you are Orthodox Jewish and a representative, not the. Jewish representative, I should say, but clearly a yarmulke wearing representative, visibly Jewish representative. Uh, I th- I don't know that any of you or other the Orthodox colleagues in Brooklyn have made endorsements yet in the mayoral race, and if they are doing that, um, 
was that something for you that you wanted to just jump out ahead of it or you just felt really compelled to go ahead? I mean, what, what were you just asking? Why did you kind of get out ahead on, on this big communal issue? Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, you know, people in politics tend to always want to go with the winner. Um, so they want to see where the race settles when it's early Anything could happen in politics. Well, you're I, looking good poll wise right now, so there you go. Yeah, you know, there's going to be like there could be twenty million dollars spent on TV, you know, saying you know, negative ads in the next six weeks. So it, we don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen. So there's always a risk of of going out early and then your candidate, in this case, but your candidate imploding. Um, so I think I think politicians in general tend to be more cautious. For me personally, I had the opportunity, and it's it's a privilege of my job. I'm able to have an intimate conversation with the candidates running for mayor and some, in some cases, multiple conversations, it just became very clear to me uh, that he would be the best person for New York city and the best person for the New York city Jewish community um, out of the other candidates that were running, not saying that other ones would be bad or good. Um, Some of them I think would be fine, but I just, by have no means that he hasn't, I really just truly felt that he had an affinity for the Jewish community. He's spoken about it. His, you know, his business partner. It's funny. We actually had a meeting in QR and Hills with him. He talks about his business partner was an observant Jew. Um, and he said, yeah, we always had to go to kosher restaurants. And everyone thought he was, you know, just BSing the crowd. Uh, and then someone asked him, what was your favorite restaurant? And he, and he named the kosher restaurants that he used to go to with his business partner. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. You're like legit. <laughs> um, so, you know, to have someone to have that, that relationship where he knows actually is familiar with the Jewish community was also refreshing and gives you a sense of comfort. Because it's very easy for anyone to go into a room and pander to the crowd. But he, he expressed, and at this point I've been with him in several meetings. So where did you take him on Main Street? That's why, which restaurant did you go to? <laughs> we didn't actually have a chance to go out to eat Main Street. He actually did uh, help at a, at a new kosher uh, food pantry run by Met Council on Main Street. Um but we did a whole tour up and down the small businesses. He actually spent he spent a good three hours here, and then besides that, he had also we had a Zoom meeting with him uh, for the various members of the Queens Jewish community. Um, and at this point, we've been to him in your neck of the woods, close to your neck of the woods in Farakway. We've been with him in Brooklyn, um, and he has continued throughout this campaign to to reach out to the Jewish community. And again, no other candidate has reached out in such a meaningful way. And he says publicly that they are an integral part of this city. Uh, and, and by the way, he's been hit over the head on social media for his positions and, and his outreach to the Orthodox community. There's an article that came out today where, where one of, I, I guess they called themselves a self-proclaimed progressive activist, attacked him for reaching out to the Orthodox Jewish community. And he has just doubled down and continues to reach out despite him being hit over the head by some folks for doing so. Well, yeah, it, it is, of course, breathtaking, and I think the listeners should understand that a group styling itself the Jewish Vote, and I mentioned the Diane Morales beforehand, this mayoral candidate who called Israel an apartheid state, she was their endorsee, their number one endorsee. Who was uh, two and three? Well, I, Scott Stringer, and I don't know who the three was, but... Uh, We'll leave that aside for a second. My last question to you, Assemblyman Rosenthal, talk for a second about the importance of the Orthodox Jewish vote in the upcoming mayoral race. How critical is it? Clearly, the candidates are spending a significant amount of time and investment and money in courting the Orthodox Jewish vote. Uh, 
obviously been there at the side of Andrew Yang for many weeks at this point. How important is that vote coming in the Democratic primary? Not it, it is extremely important for the Jewish community, as frustrating as it can be sometimes, to remain politically involved. Otherwise, we will become irrelevant. The Jewish community has some very unique needs, whether it's simple things like not having alternate side parking on Shabbos or more complicated issues as yeshiva fundings and special education issues for yeshivas. We have unique needs. And if we want to have our voices heard, a seat at that table, we need to be organized and we need to be active in our political system. At the end of the day, in New York City, the, the race for mayor will be decided in the Democratic primary. I say that with complete certainty. It is just the math. And I even I know, Michael, you are a longtime avowed Republican strategist. I don't think you would disagree with me on this, even though you might not say it right now. <laughs> but it I, is... I am not at this point going to disagree. I, I, OK, for the sake I, of my own credibility. <laughs> um, I won't leak this now. Um, but... Well, I will tell you this. I will tell you that the current front runner, uh, lo and behold, of the Republican primary is Curtis Sliwa and Curtis, unfortunately, uh, over many years, has made incredibly disparaging remarks about the Orthodox community, including going up to Rockland and Orange counties and decrying the growth of the Hasidic community up there. And in my mind, that is unforgivable. The videos are all available. We'll just leave it at that. I would not support a gentleman named Curtis Sliwa for mayor. (laughs) So it's just very important. On June 22nd, the next mayor of New York City will be decided. To participate in that process, you must be a registered Democrat, but you also must vote in the Democratic primary if you want the Orthodox Jewish community to continue to have a seat at the table in New York City government. Okay, but what when you look at the race, how critical, pivotal is that vote going to be? I mean, is this race going to be decided by a couple thousand votes? Is it going to be 10,000 votes? Is it going to be 50,000 votes? I mean, there are so many candidates out there. This could they, be pretty they, close. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a, they expect it to turn out to be around 800,000 people are going to vote the Democratic primary. When you think that, I believe there's 11 candidates on the ballot, something along those lines. A block vote from the Orthodox Jewish community could make a significant difference because you don't need to get 800,000 votes. You just need to get – well, it's ranked towards voting, so it complicates things. But right. you, need, you need to do well enough. Right. Well, but even with ranked choice voting, those votes actually can, in some cases, matter even more uh, because they determine who stays in the race and who – Just direct the, the, our listeners' attention to 93 uh, when Rudy Giuliani defeated David Dinkins by 50,000 votes – and you had massive turnout after the Grand Heights riots for in the from community, uh, massive turnout. In fact, it was it's really been unmatched as far as the percentage of registered voters. And that was determinative of the election. At least Rudy Giuliani felt that way. There were some other issues like Staten Island secession, et cetera. But but he never forgot that. There was no question that Rudy Giuliani never forgot the support that he got. And that's the same opportunity here. Potentially, you might see that a candidate could win with the support of the Orthodox community. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, Daniel Rosenthal's 27th Assembly District from Queens. I appreciate your keen political analysis as well as uh, your 
uh, you're shilling for your candidate. Andrew Yang is your is your guy. Uh, you want you going to make a controller endorsement here, or you're going to leave I'm, that I'm for not endorsing the controllers race yet? Not endorsing. Okay. Not as bold as you gave me credit for. Not not quite as bold. Well, you're you're probably going to support Jumani Williams, Republican advocate, I imagine. Is he running unopposed? Yes, he's running unopposed as far well, as I saw. So, I guess well, that <laughs> excellent. Okay, well, that's a <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for joining us here on Spin Class, and uh, we hope to have you back in the future as the race progresses. My pleasure. Thank you. So we have to note the political news of the week: the Derek Chauvin trial, uh, three guilty verdicts in Minneapolis, and of course there are those out there who. Say it's an outrage against the police. Look, if you watched that video and you saw what happened, I, I just don't even see the other side. This is not about the police. Um, and I think a lot of cops out there, especially the ones that I know, don't like to be associated and tarred with uh, somebody who would suck the life out of anyone in such a slow and grotesque manner. So I, I don't look at it that way at all. I think that this was justice. I think that what Maxine Waters and some others who tried to influence the verdict, what she did in particular was reprehensible. Uh, you don't get into the sanctity of the jury process, try and influence the jury, try and threaten violence if the jury doesn't vote the right way. We should have confidence in our juries. Should have confidence in our justice system and going around and making such statements uh, such as uh, threatening violence is exactly what many Democrats have accused Republicans of doing. And then, of course, the a lot of people in the Republican side are talking about appeals and how this will not be held up and how it's uh, just the undue pressure and the sequestration and it's almost like they want Derek Chauvin to get off on a technicality which I think is would be tragic be absolutely tragic uh, the advantage that we have these days is that all this stuff is filmed I will tell you it's very tough from my perspective for the police to do their job effectively under the microscope that they are and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't have that scrutiny because when the state takes it upon itself to have power and to exercise that power and then to take a life, that's uh, tragic. It's tragic that somebody for counterfeiting a $20 bill allegedly could die. It's tragic if somebody in a car stop could die. Um, also, tragically, even if it's by accident, it should not be. At the, we never want that to be at the hands of the government that acts on our behalf. And but at the same time, by and large, the men in blue are people committed to our safety. They are committed to keeping order in society. I wish we needed fewer of them, but I, for one, feel more comfortable and comforted by having the men and blue around. And I want to take this opportunity to thank them for the job that they do and that they have continued to do every day, day in, day out, putting their lives on the line when it comes to protecting 
the public. What else going on? Well, you had an aborted, I would say, lack of a better word, uh, attempt at creating this caucus on the right in the U.S. House. The America First Caucus, as if the Freedom Caucus was not enough. You have that uh, out there. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, Matt Gates, of course, uh, jumping in there. Uh, totally unclear what this is even about, aside from some very nativist and xenophobic feelings among some of these representatives that really wanted to preserve European traditions, which, you know, European traditions are nice, but I don't know the extent that you have to be so exclusionary that they got a rebuke from other Republicans. I, it just seems, it just seems a little bit it nuts. And yeah, I mean, I'll just put it that way. It's just uh, totally nuts. And I want to just end by talking about the fact that Joe Biden uh, has still not appointed a anti-Semitism envoy, an ambassador to combat anti-Semitism. Many of the Democrats criticized Trump for being slow to appoint that ambassador. It's a very important position as anti-Semitism grows around the world and continues to be a problem that the U.S. is committed to it. It's time to do it. It's time to make it happen. Um, And uh, if some of the candidates themselves uh, come from the anti-Israel camp, those should not be candidates of it. The big brouhaha right now with regard to anti-Semitism is the working definition and a lot of to establish the international Holocaust remembrance definition of anti-Semitism, which considers to be the uh, singling out of Israel to be a something about anti-Semitism we talked about earlier in the show, the BDS movement being anti-Semitic because it only goes ahead and singles out Israel for special treatment. Well, that's an issue. Um, and a lot of places, in fact, you had a takeover in the, of the Jewish Law Students Association at the CUNY Law School. That is essentially an anti-Israel Jewish Law Students Association. They have sided with the Students for Justice of Palestine. It's shocking that you the, the Jewish law students are then held up and say, well, we're not anti-Semitic because we are the Jewish law students. So that's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks, Allison Joseph. See you next week.